morning. So I've been at Sunrise about 10 months now. And uh, as a pastor, whenever you go to a new church, uh, you want to look at the most important things first. And uh, the most important thing is clapping ability. Because uh, churchgoers are renowned for clapping horribly offbeat. And uh, I can tell you honestly that we definitely added that stereotype. And uh, so, <laughs> but my, my favorite people when it comes to worship are, are not those people who can clap on beat and those people who have, you know, amazing voices. Uh, my favorite people are those who they sound like they've got gravel stuck in their throat and they just don't even care and they're just going after God. Because worship isn't a, about sounding good. You know, it's not about singing along to your favorite song. You know, it's about praising God for who he is. Now, I'm going to give you um, um, a tip. This is kind of like a special pastor tip. Things that you look for when you know that church worship is really about to get off the hook. And so the first thing you look for, you know, as you're looking at the people, look at their feet. You know, so if you see a little bit of this, a little bit of side-to-side action, okay, you know things that are they're starting to heat up. You know, they're not there yet, but they're starting to heat up a little bit. And the second thing you look for is the elbows, okay? When people are clapping, all right, if they're clapping like this, okay, it's still pretty dull. But once those elbows, once they break the plane of the side, okay, then you know things are about to get crazy, okay? Once those elbows start swinging backwards, and the last thing, this last thing, if you see this thing, you're going to actually think people want to be here, all right? So when they start clapping, all right, if their head tilts a little bit to the slide, they start doing one of these, okay? Things are about to get crazy. We're on the verge of a church rave if you see that happening. I love starting out Sunday mornings with worship. Uh, it, it gets me excited. It gets me engaged. You know, I, I really start to just get into that mode, that mindset. It's like, okay, got it. I, I want more of you. And uh, it also gets me excited for the sermon too. You know, it prepares my mind. It's like, all right, God, I just engaged with you with worship. And now what are you going to challenge me with with this sermon? We are in week three of our series, Excess, and uh, we are talking about finances today. And I'm not like most people when it comes to this aspect. I love talking about finances. And uh, this is a subject that I think we should be talking a lot about in church. Uh, when, we, when we do talk about money, it tends to make people feel pretty uncomfortable. Um, all of a sudden, you know, the seats start to feel a little bit harder. And uh, the room all of a sudden, you know, is a little bit hotter. And uh, seriously, people are more comfortable talking about just about anything um, than it, they are about their finance, finances. I want to play a clip from one of my favorite TV shows here. Hey, Pam. I heard that you were registered, but I didn't hear where. I don't think we registered anywhere. We just want cash. Like money? Like you, you want my money? Mm-hmm. Will you take a check? Yeah. Cool. In the memo line, I'm gonna write, to love's eternal glory. Okay. Wait till Monday. <laughs> so uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Tim kicked off this series and he said he wasn't going to go after wallets. I'm totally going after your wallets. I'm letting you, I'm letting you know right now, um, at the end of this service, if you consider Sunrise Church your home, I'm totally going to ask you to commit with your money as well. And when it comes to church finances and when it comes to giving, I am totally unapologetic and shameless with my plugs uh, because I believe so strongly 
in the mission and the future of Sunrise Church. The last thing that I want to see slow us down is money. So like I said, Pastor Tim, he talked a few weeks ago about giving everything. It still smells like apple up here, Pastor Tim. Uh, but there, there's a magic recipe when it comes to church success with three ingredients. But you need to have all three ingredients. When people give their time, their talent, and their money, the church becomes an unstoppable force. Now what happens is if people don't give their time, churches try to offset that by hiring more staff. But it doesn't fix the problem because the people, they aren't invested personally. And so even if you grow bigger, you just have to constantly hire more staff. Number two, when people don't give their talent, churches try to balance that by hiring talent instead of pastors who have a heart for ministry. A lot of churches have moved the route of hiring professional musicians to run their worship. Sometimes these musicians, they're not even Christians, and they don't realize that they're actually losing out on worship altogether. It's just turning to music. And we don't come here just to sing any sort of music. We come here to worship God. Number three, when people don't give their money, the vision of the church becomes stagnated. It usually means the lead pastor is understaffed and overworked, and there are never enough resources to bring that vision into reality. It's simply survival mode. And I've been a part of too many churches that have lived for years off of survival mode because they were too afraid to talk about money in practical and realistic terms. So in high school, I took a weightlifting class. I can tell what some of you are thinking, it didn't work. You know what, I'm not going for bulk, I'm going for the athletic cut, okay? Uh, but anyways, my, my teacher, he, he gave some great advice, and, and I want us to use that as advice today as we talk about finances. And so what he said is, before any of you step through that door into the weight room, I want you to leave your ego before you walk in. He said, I don't care how much or how little you can lift. He said, we're not trying to impress, we're trying to improve. And that's some ageless wisdom right there. I often hear people say, money isn't important to me. And uh, my response is, either you have way too much and you need to give some away, or you're just flat out broke and you don't want to think about the fact that you don't have any. Because money does matter, and that's why Jesus talked about it so much. Money matters. I guarantee you in this room right now, we have a small amount of people who are really good with money. We have a large group of people who are just really terrible when it comes to finances. We have some people who look like they have a lot of money and they don't. And we have some people who you wouldn't guess that they have any money and they actually have a lot. So regardless of where you're at on the financial spectrum, I want you to take your ego out of it because we all have something that we can learn. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, take your ego out of it. We have a money problem in the U.S. The average U.S. family has $8,377 in credit card debt alone. So that means that the average family owes $8,377 that they don't have. We have started to think that access means permission. Well, I, I applied for a line of credit. They gave it to me. I, I guess I should use it, right? Some of you might know the story of uh, King David and Bathsheba. 
Long story short, King David, he sees a married woman bathing, and uh, David knows that he has access to her. You know, he's, he's this all-powerful king. He basically has access to do, you know, just about anything. And after a while, he allows this mental battle to take place, and he eventually convinces himself that his access gives him permission to do something he shouldn't do. David ends up facing some major consequences. I encourage you to read the whole story yourself. You can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can legally apply for a credit card and then spend money that you don't have. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. So today we're focusing on the topic of stewardship. And One thing with finances, it's become really hard for people to share wins in finances. You know, when you have a win in another area, you know, you break addiction or, you know, you progress somewhere else, it's like people are like, yeah, that's awesome, they're clapping for you. And and I've noticed over the years that when it comes to finances, it's really hard for people to share their wins when they have one in finances because people are like, okay, great for you, keep it to yourself, all right? Not everyone has, you know, that kind of success. And they get really defensive when it comes to finances. Um, I had a friend who was a pastor, and he saved up, and he, he bought a new car, and nothing fancy, mid-range sedan. Within a week of him driving it, there was rumors all over the church that he was stealing money from the church, and, uh, and he was just so heartbroken over it. And uh, another story, personal story, my dad, he's, he's a surgeon, and so he's really well off now. I would hope you would be after going to school for 12 years and you know, racking up tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. But when I, I first grew up, my dad had just gotten out of residency. And so, I mean, they had tons of debt. You know, they had no money. We had this old, you know, crappy Mazda minivan. I love that thing. And uh, finally, you know, they, my dad decided, okay, you know, we, we got to get a, another car. So we really splurged. We went to the junkyard. And uh, we got this just rusted out green truck, and it was missing seat belts, uh, so we cut seat belts out of other cars and stapled them into it. And it was one of those cars where, you know, nothing quite worked right, and so if you wanted to start it, you had to shake the steering wheel, you know, and kind of get one of those, you know, start up. And if you wanted the windshield wipers to go, uh, you had to turn the radio on for some reason, so the radio would be blaring, and then... And so, you know, it was just one of those very interesting trucks. And so my dad used that to go to work. That way my mom had the Mazda, Mazda minivan for us kids. Um, so anyways, they, they saved up for three or four years, and finally they had enough money to buy outright a, a Chevy Suburban. At this point, there was five of us kids. And so we bought the Suburban, and it was great. And uh, all of a sudden, people started making comments to my dad, like, oh, new car, huh? He's like, yeah. Oh, well, I guess that's the next step. You know, you're a surgeon. And, and my dad was really, you know, he was kind of hurt by it because he's like, you know, I didn't go out and buy a Lincoln Navigator. You know, I didn't buy a Cadillac, you know, Escalade. I didn't go buy like the classic Porsche, you know, like a lot of doctors do. He said, I, we have a family of seven, you know, a Chevy Suburban. It was just a practical car. So over the years, one thing that I've found is that people with no money are just as greedy as those with a lot of money. People with a lot of money are just as judgmental as those people with a little bit of money. So no matter where you're at, when it comes to finances and when it comes to these different principles like stewardship, okay, no matter where you're at on the spectrum, uh, don't judge someone who's on a different area because we all have something that we can learn from it. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. My question for you, does that sound like you? 
the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Put simply, stewardship is taking care of something that you don't own. And I love when different things like this line up. We didn't plan it this way, but in kids' church, this whole month, we've been talking about stewardship. Uh, So if you're a parent, this is a great opportunity. We're talking about it today. We're talking about it in kids' church. In the car ride home, have a conversation about it, okay? Ask them what they think stewardship means. You tell them what you think it means. Have a conversation about it. But when I like to think of, of stewardship, I like to think of it in terms of, you know, resourcefulness and effectiveness. How effective are you being with your money? What do you have, for those of you that have been in the workforce 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what do you have to show for all that money that you've made over the years? There was a short while that I actually took all my licenses and became a financial advisor. Uh, It's a really empowering feeling um, when you learn to control money instead of letting it control you. And I really wanted to help other people feel that way. When it comes to stewardship, the first thing that we need to do is we need to change our mindset. Listen to Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't own anything. This is the single biggest realization that needs to happen because all of a sudden the question isn't, can I afford that $5 cup of coffee? Do I deserve those new clothes? All of a sudden, it changes to this conversation with God. God, how should I spend our money? Everything is ultimately yours, but you've given me this single lifetime to use it well, to steward it well. So you might be wondering, are you saying that I should question every non-essential purchase? Maybe. Oftentimes, I've heard taught in church that God never wants you to feel guilty. I don't think that's true. When you've done something wrong, God wants you to feel guilty. <laughs> the, the real problem becomes when you do something wrong and you don't feel guilty, you know, that's when we've got the real problem. We can be so quick sometimes to brush past mistakes that we don't learn from them. Sometimes we even enable friends and family because, you know, something really bad happens. We try to comfort them and, you know, we just like, hey, forget it. God forgives you. Move past it. Push forward. Now, trust me, I, I wholeheartedly believe in peace grace, restoration, forgiveness. But those things, those are a result of repentance, remorse, a commitment to change. Let guilt play its role. The hope is that that guilt, or if you want to call it conviction, is that it leads to restoration. So when I started to question my purchases, all my purchases, God really changed my view on what I was viewing as necessary or deserving. God all of a sudden started showing me alternatives, better uses for our money. I live with that tension all the time still. And uh, living in tension isn't always a bad thing. It has to do with, you know, husband and wife and living in tension constantly is probably not a good thing. Uh, But when it comes to your relationship with God in different areas like this, when you live with a certain amount of tension, it allows you to, to really be mindful of that subject. It keeps you dependent on hearing from God. So I'm not going to tell you when you should or shouldn't feel guilty. Um, I want you to go through that struggle yourself. I want you to have that conversation with God. And yes, I think you should have that conversation about all sorts of little meaningless purchases because God might change your opinion of what you're viewing as necessary or deserving. But there are some signs of uh, good stewardship and there's some signs of bad stewardship. 
And I just want to say that there is no amount of money or salary that makes stewardship easier. There isn't. You either start learning today or you push it off until tomorrow. If you think it gets easier when you have more money, you're wrong. Humans have this great talent for convincing ourselves that something is okay. Remember David with Bathsheba? See if any of these sound like you. I don't have any money anyway, so what does it matter if I buy this? I work hard. I deserve this. Once I have money, then I'll start giving. No, you won't. Once you have money, you'll start saying, well, you know, I haven't been able to have a nice vacation yet, so now that I have the money, I really deserve this. And then you get more money. Okay, I I really need a bigger house. I need it, you know? And so then you push off giving because you need a bigger house. And then it just keeps going, and it keeps going. So let's see how honest of a group we are in here. How many of you want more money? I do. Okay, good. (laughs) My My next question is, why should God give you more money if you aren't currently stewarding well what he's already given you? If you have your Bibles with you, whether in paper or electronic form, uh, we're going to spend time in Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. And the heading is the parable of the talents. Now, the term talents back in the day, it was a unit for coins, for currency. And uh, now we have a different meaning for that term. But the cool part is that when it comes to the principle of stewardship, stewardship is just as applicable to your talents as in gifts as it is to your talents, as in money. So let's go to verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So they're right there. That's basically the definition of stewardship, okay? There's this master. He's entrusting his possessions to someone else. So these slaves, they don't own the possessions. They're taking care of them. They're stewarding them. There's our stewardship. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Now, I've read this passage many times before, but as I was preparing for this sermon a few weeks ago, that word ability jumped out at me. I had never noticed that before. So here's a hard truth. Could it be that you're lacking in resources, not because you were unlucky, but because God knows you? Because he knows your ability? Now, people usually react two different ways. There's a lot of people that usually, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess I just don't have the ability. And, you know, they're the Eeyores of the group. And uh, then you have a small portion of people, okay, and they know that not good enough might be where they're at right now, but it's not where they're going to stay. They know that ability is created. It's refined. It's tested. Verse 16 Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. Immediately. This was not random. It was deliberate. So either this first slave, either he's a really big gambler and he grabs the money and he knows where the nearest casino is and so he beelines it there and happens to get lucky and doubles his money or he's already thought about what he's going to do with his money before he ever got it. You look at professional athletes, 78% of NFL players are either broke or under financial stress within two years of retirement. The minimum salary is $465,000. Are you kidding me? $465,000? 
I'm set for at least a decade, if not the rest of my life, with some good investments. That's a crazy amount of money. 44% of lottery winners go broke within five years. I can tell you this much, it wasn't because they didn't have enough. Powerball winners get hundreds of millions of dollars. So what happened? What happened to these NFL players? What happened to these lottery players, these winners? What happened is that their, their talent or their circumstances brought them to a place that their character couldn't handle. I'll say it again, there is no amount of money that makes stewardship easier. So when it comes to me, I hope that my talent is in my gifts. I hope it never brings me further than my character should allow. When it comes to money, resources, I hope I never get more than I'm prepared for, than I'm ready for, because I want to make sure that I steward well what God puts me in charge of. Verse 17, In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So a modern-day example of this would be leaving all your money in a savings account. Because savings accounts nowadays, you get about 0.01%. And uh, maybe if you're lucky, you do a high-yield one or you put it into an online savings account, you might get 1%. But you're, every year, you're actually losing money because inflation's always around 3% and the government's going to keep it that way. So if you're just having all your money and that's your way of you know, investing money, that's not a good way. That's basically digging a hole and putting it in there. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Kind of makes me laugh, you know, like such a term of endearment. Good and faithful slave. Uh, but I'm, I'm convinced that God is shrewd. I'm convinced that God is resourceful. And he can create an abundance of resources out of nothing, but he's not going to waste resources on someone who's not going to, you know, take care of them, someone who's going to mishandle them. I love the end of verse 21. Enter into the joy of your master. He's basically saying, now that I know that you're trustworthy, you have access to so much more. Enjoy all this stuff with me. Let's use it well together. Verse 22. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. The master didn't give the slaves his money so they could dig a hole, put the money in there and hide it. The master could have done that himself. He could have done that. But we get a glimpse here into what was driving that third slave. He said himself, I was afraid. How many of you are afraid to give? How many of you are afraid to invest? Oh, I can't invest. You know, everything, you know, 
there's so much uncertainty and there's so much, you know, political change and change in the stock market. I could never invest. That's too risky. I could never give, you know, money's really tight as it is. Are you saying I should give away what I have? And well, then what am I going to do? That's way too big of a risk. I can't do that. Verse 26, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. So the master looked at what the third slave had done with his money and he saw waste. He saw wasted money. He saw wasted time. He saw wasted opportunity. Last verses, 29 and 30. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in the place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So last week, Pastor Mark, he talked about the principle of the first. God doesn't want our leftovers. He he wants the best and the first from every area of our life. If you are unwilling to risk your money through giving, why should God risk giving you more? If you can't trust God with your first, why would he trust you enough to increase the rest that you have? A question I often hear is, how much should I give? How much should I give, you know? My answer is, enough so it affects you. Maybe you've never given before. Okay? Maybe you never um, saw the purpose in it. Well, I'd challenge you with this. Start with 1%. Everyone can give 1%. Start there. Well, how do I give when I don't have anything? You know, I don't have anything to give. What am I supposed to do? Well, that means your priorities are out of order. Remember, we're supposed to give of our first. So when we give to God, then everything else is the scramble. You know, then it's, how do I buy this? How do I buy that? But we don't have to worry about how I'm going to give to God because that is the first thing that we already did. Maybe you've given for a long time and you've started to see 10% as the finish line. Maybe you need to start viewing that as the starting point instead. I want to share a personal story with you. And... Uh, I'm not looking for some sort of, you know, pat on the back like, oh, Zach and Amy, how great of you. Um, this is simply a story of obedience, okay? God told us to do something with his money, and we did it. So this is when Amy and I, we had just gotten married. Uh, we had one car. We had a 95 Crown Vic. She loved it. I hated it. We were constantly repairing it. And uh, I, I biked or walked to work. She took the car. Um, she worked, she substitute taught for three different school districts. Um, then a couple evenings a week, she'd work at Caribou, and then we coached soccer together, and I also taught kickboxing, and I worked at a restaurant, and I was a campus pastor too. My wife and I, we started a church, a campus church in Edina. And uh, so we were putting in, you know, like 70 hours a week, and at the time, it didn't seem like that much, to be honest, because uh, we were, you know, a little bit younger then, and it just, we loved what we were doing. Um, now I look at it and like, I never want to work 70 hours a week. But, uh, you know, but back that we really just loved everything that we were doing. And uh, I'm a saver. And I love to save. You know, I love checking the bank accounts and like seeing the money, you know, get a little bit higher. And uh, so I was the one who dealt with our finances. And so at the time, um, we were giving 15% of our income. 
And I was praying one day, and all of a sudden, God's like, I want you guys to start giving 20%. I was like, oh, that's kind of a big jump. Like, all right. So I went and talked to Amy. I was like, hey, Amy, I feel like this is what God's telling us. And uh, Amy was just aiming. She said, all right, let's be obedient. Go do it, you know? I was like, all right. So, so we start giving 20%. And uh, a few weeks later, at the restaurant that I worked at, I was a busboy. My manager, he calls me in, and he's like, hey, come up to my office. So I come up there, and he's like, why haven't you picked up any of your tips? I was like, tips? He's like, yeah, you know, you're the busboy, but the servers, every single shift, they tip you out. You have a pile of tips, you know, waiting here for you. So he gives me the envelope, and there was like 300-some dollars in there. And I mean, that was just literally a fortune. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, what it, like, you know, God asked us to give more, and then he provides more too. So a few weeks later, um, I'm praying, and God's like, all right, I want you guys to give 25%. And we're like, okay. I was starting to get a little sweaty. You know, like, all right, God, this is, this is getting to be kind of a lot. But like, okay, so I go to Amy, we talk it over. All right, you know, let's, let's you know, we, we're on the same page. Let's give 25%. So a few weeks after we started giving 25%, um, my, again, at the restaurant I worked at, the manager calls me and he says, hey, you're, you're pretty good with people. We want to make you a server. I was like, okay. And so I become a server and I'm instantly making three to four times what I was as a busboy. And so again, God provides more than that extra amount that we had started giving. And so all of a sudden this trend starts occurring. A few weeks later, God says, all right, 30%. And uh, so I go to Amy. She's like, all right, let's start giving 30%. On a weekly basis, out of nowhere, my tips at the restaurant I work at start increasing um, a drastic amount, like 20-some percent, more to offset that extra 5%. All right, the last time it happens. Okay, I'm praying again a few weeks later. God says, all right, I want you to give 35%. To be honest, I don't even know if I told Amy this this time because it was happening like every two weeks and I knew what she was going to say. It's like, all right, God, you've proven yourself this far. Okay, 35%. And a few weeks after we started giving that 35%, the business administrator at the church I worked at, he said, hey, after st staff meeting, I want you to come into my office. And I was like, okay. And so he brings me in there and just looks me in the face and he goes, how are you doing financially? And I was kind of caught off guard and I was like, wow, well, that's a very upfront question. And I was kind of stumbling over my words like, I, yeah, we're, we're doing okay. Like we're living frugally, not a lot extra. And he looks me in the eyes and he goes, we don't pay you very much. And I kind of paused for a few seconds. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> and, and, he, and he goes, you should ask for a raise and we're gonna present it to the board and you'll get it. And I said, okay. And so sure enough, you know, he, we talk about the amount that I should ask for, we present it to the board and we get it. Now you can try to, you know, argue coincidence for some of those other things, but what business, I don't care if it's a church, nonprofit, uh, you know, for-profit, what, who in their right mind, you know, invites people in, workers there, and it's like, hey, I'll give you more money, I'll give you more money, you know? Um, but it was a, a story that Amy and I won't forget because every time God asked us to give more, he provided more. And thank God that we're not giving 35% anymore of our income. He's not asking us to give that much anymore. Um, but anyways, sometimes we view giving as like, okay, I reach this percent and it's a finish line. And, you know, your giving can go up and down. It should be consistent. But at different times in your life, I think God will ask you to give more. And that's the really cool thing about it. Sunrise will never reach its potential. Our impact will always be limited 
unless all of us give three things, our time, our talent, and our money. In a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to just talk and hear from God. I have no problem saying it, just like Kevin or just like Pam from the office. We want your money. Every single day, I see certain things as a church that we can or can't do because of money, because where our finances are at. So really quickly, I want to mention two misconceptions about biblical generosity. The first one, well, God's happy with consistent giving, even if it's not generous. We're called to do more than just give. We're called to give our best. And the second misconception, well, God's happy with generous giving, even if I only do it, you know, occasionally, even if it's not consistent. Generosity isn't supposed to be an act. It's supposed to be a way of life. God wants your first. On your bulletin at the bottom, there's a blank space with a percent. I'm going to ask that if you consider Sunrise Church your home, you commit to it by supporting it with a percentage of your income, starting from today, moving forward. We're going to take a few minutes and just ask God how much he wants us to give. We aren't going to have you turn in your bulletins. I'm not going to be walking around adding up percentages. This is a conversation between you and God. This is an opportunity that you have to respond to God's invitation to apply principles like stewardship and the principle of the first. Take a few minutes and hear from God, and I'll close us in just a minute. Maybe you didn't hear anything. If that's the case, I encourage you to start at 1% and go from there. If God did tell you something, I encourage you to be obedient and just follow through with what he told you to do, and God's going to provide on the other end. Will you pray with me? God, I just pray that we would become truly generous people, generous with our time, generous with our talents, generous with our money. Help us to give in such a way that it actually affects our life. Help us to see all of the good that we can do with our money, all the good that we can do through church, all the good that we can do through helping individuals that we know. God, help give us a heart where we want to spend our money on other people, not ourselves. God, help us to apply principles like stewardship. Help us to truly view it as your money that we're taking care of. Help us to apply principles of the first. Help us to be consistent givers, generous givers. God, you've given so much to us. Help us to give back. Pray this all in your name. Amen.